Good morning. It's good to be with you guys, and uh, it's really good to see the Lanes and extended family. Uh, what a treat to see Jonathan baptized. It's something we've been praying for and looking forward to, and, and uh, Jonathan, it's an honor to be a brother in Christ with you here at North Hills. Well, guys, um, we got a lot of guests, so let me just do a quick introduction. I'm Justin Underwood. I'm one of the elders here at North Hills, and typically we're going through a book verse by verse, but we finished up Habakkuk earlier this year, and we decided to take a break from verse by verse, and we have been doing sermons in Psalms, and I was asked to do one in Proverbs, and as I study Proverbs, I realize why there's not a lot of sermons in Proverbs when you do verse by verse uh, teaching, because it is so deep and rich, and it's hard to get past one word, more or less a verse, but we're going to just start in the beginning of Proverbs in chapter 1. Verses 1 through 7, and I'll go ahead and tell you our emphasis for today will be verse 7. Uh, we're going to do an introduction into Proverbs because we, it's hard to, uh, to be uh, a preacher, teacher here at North Hills and not understand the context of what we're teaching in. And so I'll open up with that, and then, like I said, we will, uh, we'll emphasize verse 7 for the most part this morning. So before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you that... Uh, we were able to uh, witness a uh, profession of faith, Lord, um, the profession of, of how we are dead and buried with Christ so that we might be raised to new life with Christ, not only new life for eternity, but, Lord, abundant life now. And so uh, that's my prayer for all that who, who are here, that as we dive into your word and as your spirit leads, that the abundant life of Christ will begin uh, to increase as we increase in the knowledge of who you are and what you have done to us and through us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So, uh, if you're like most Christians, you reference the book of Proverbs uh, on a regular basis. And Proverbs is referenced all the time in Scripture, in preaching, where preachers will be teaching in one book and they'll use Proverbs as a reference source. Uh, and for good reason, because it is the book of wisdom. And as a book of wisdom, there are three books in the Old Testament that are kind of classified as these book of, books of wisdom. Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Uh, but Proverbs uh, is interesting in that uh, it was uh, believed to be mostly written by Solomon along with some others, and we'll, we'll dive into that. Uh, but let's read chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instructions. Now, what is a proverb? Well, a proverb is a phrase or a pithy saying, you know, something that kind of brings light or shines light on a truth. And uh, the book of Proverbs, like I was saying, is a uh, you know, given a lot of credit here in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, 
the son of King David. Well, why would we give so much credit to Solomon for Proverbs? Well, if you would, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to read 3 through 9 and also 29 through 33. And you have to forgive me, I am reading out of my New American Standard this morning. I know most of you here read out of the uh, English Standard Translation, but that is okay, the SV. Uh, so, beginning in verse 3, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on, on the high places. And the king went into uh, Gibbon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar and in Gibbon. And the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what you wish, uh, ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, thou hast shown great loving kindness to thy servant David, my father, according as he walked before thee in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards thee. And thou hast reserved for him a this great loving kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king in the place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in and thy servant in the midst of thy people. And thou hast chosen a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for the multitude. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor you have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. So we see that God answered Solomon's request for wisdom and gave him a discerning heart and a discerning mind and made him very, very wise. And that wisdom calls uh, Israel to grow in prosperity uh, and in renown through all the world to the point that uh, the queen of Sheba came to visit him to acquire about this wisdom. And so we, we, we see that Solomon in a sort is the fountainhead of wisdom for Israel. And Proverbs is kind of the collection of that wisdom and what is inspired by God's word. And so this is the inspired word of God using Solomon's uh, wisdom along with a collection of other uh, sayings. And we know that because Proverbs is made up into three parts, really. Chapters 1 through 9, which is instructions, primarily given to young men. And then we have 10 through 29, which is a collection of Proverbs throughout the ancient world. And then chapters 30 through 31. Now, Solomon did not always walk in this wisdom. We see that later in life, he uh, actually fell pretty hard as he started worshiping false idols and uh, acquired for himself 
many wives and concubines. Uh, so if, if that's the best that wisdom has to offer, Solomon is not who we're only supposed to be looking to. But we do have these Proverbs here. So if Proverbs are pithy sayings and uh, these phrases which bring truth to light, we should be considering it. But I want to test your knowledge this morning of Proverbs, the ones that you may know. So if you would, kind of play along with me here. I'm going to read some Proverbs to you, and I want you to uh, finish them for me, if that's okay. So, all right, here's one. Curiosity killed the... Actions speak louder than... All that glitters is not... The pen is mightier than... When in Rome... Do as the Romans. <laughs> We've shortened that up. We just say when in Rome now, right? The squeaky wheel gets the... Is it oil or grease, guys? <laughs> when the going gets tough, a man is, uh, no man is an island. Yeah. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Better late than <laughs> birds of a feather. Spare the rod. <laughs> so these are all proverbs that somehow we've memorized, right? And, and maybe they're driving our lives more than we realize. You know, maybe, maybe they are, maybe they're not. Well, Solomon, in all his wisdom, he wrote over 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs. And we know that because Scripture tells us that explicitly in the book of Kings. But these proverbs here are the ones that are inspired by God, not these Americanized proverbs. Like if I were to say, hey, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There we go. Now, that's a proverb here in Scripture, but that's the kind of proverb that you should be using as a principle of your life. Now, something I think that is important. Um, proverbs are, I think, are more probability, not promises. Uh, you know, we're not all promised long life, although Proverbs points to behavior that does tend to lead to long life. So Proverbs is important, and it is wisdom, but it's not necessarily promises, okay? And I hope you follow me on that. If not, just talk to me afterwards, and we'll, we'll talk about it, okay? So as we jump into uh, chapter 1 here, and uh, let me get my notes here. I normally use an iPad, and I'm trying something a little different this morning, okay? So, I want to focus again on verse 7. And I think it's pretty ironic that you're here because whenever you had uh, the Hill Radio Station, you had these license plates that said, Fear God, right? And I remember going and picking up one of these license plates, and there's a really good chance that John McCartney's the one who put it on my truck. And I had a relative call, a close relative. When they saw my truck, they were like, Why do you have this fear God sticker on your truck. I'm like, well, because scripture says you should fear the Lord. And they're like, no, you can't fear the Lord. God is love, you know? And so there's this, there's this kind of conflict that arises in our heart and our mind when we, when we hear the words fear God. But why, why should we fear the Lord? Well, scripture says it's the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. And I think that to, to be able to acquire knowledge or have a right understanding, one must first Understand who you are in relationship to who God is. There's a, a principle in physics that says that the lesser shall serve the greater, right? 
So the moon revolves around the earth, and the earth revolves around the sun, and the sun revolves around, I don't know, but the, the lesser always serves the greater. And for one to acquire wisdom, you must understand who you are in relationship to who God is. And to see that, I would like to turn to Job chapter 28. Again, one of the books of wisdom, Job chapter 28. And just as a reminder, you've heard me say this before if you've been here, uh, although, uh, although Job was written after the events of Genesis, Job is, is, is uh, largely believed to be the first text of the Bible that was written. Uh, it actually in, in predates Genesis in the actual writing of it. And I just think that's so important because God is, is reminding us, I can't tell you how it began unless you trust me. And for that to take place, you must know who I really am. And we come to Job chapter 28, and I'm going to start in verse 12. Uh, mine is titled, uh, The Search for Wisdom is Harder. And why is it harder? Well, in the earlier text of 28, he's talking about searching for earth's treasures. And he says, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, It is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. Pure gold cannot uh, be exchanged for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of fear, in the precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coil and uh, crystals are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed in the birds of the sk- from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say with our ears, we have heard a report of it. God understands its way, and he knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth And he sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and and meted out the waters by measure, and when he set a limit for rain and a course for the thunderbolt, and then he saw and declared it. So God only could find wisdom, right? Only he could search it out. And he does, and what does he say? He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. So we see like in the earliest text of Scripture that God is pointing us that to acquire wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of Him. And again, what, I'm, what I want to emphasize this morning is to know who you are in relationship to Him. Okay, so if you were locked in a room and there was an 800-pound gorilla in the room, and the gorilla wanted in your corner, what do you do? You move. (laughs) Because when you come up to something that's bigger than you, you have to serve it. Well, God is infinitely bigger than we are. But I want to say, this is the beginning of wisdom. It's not the completeness of wisdom. It's not the finality of wisdom. But it's the beginning of wisdom. 
Because how can one become wise if you don't know who you are in relationship to who God is? Because otherwise you become stiff-necked and you won't listen to what he has to say, right? But once you understand who God is, you obey him. And this caused me to go, okay, all right, so here in, here in Job is likely the first time it was written that we were to fear the Lord. But when's the first time we see it in Scripture? And that took me to Genesis chapter 22. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, a very uh, familiar text of Scripture, especially here in North Hills. As Abraham is offering Isaac, God has told Abraham, I want you to offer your only son as a sacrifice, and Abraham is obeying. And we see here, I'm going to just start in verse 9. And then they came to the place which God had told, them, told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. Here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God. And so there's a connection that we see that faith has with a proper reverence for who God is. When we see God as he reveals himself, but as he is, as the God of all, and our trust is in him, it breeds a healthy fear. Not the kind of fear that uh, a hostage would have to someone has them captive. That's not the kind of fear that we're talking about. No, we're talking about the fear of understanding that he's bigger than you, and he alone knows wisdom, and he alone knows what's good for you. And so by faith, we obey, not out of a, uh, an unhealthy fear, not out of an unhealthy um, concern that, that, um, that he's not good. Evan reminded me of uh, the quote about uh, Narnia, and that in, in Narnia, you have Aslan, this, this roaring, kingly lion. And they ask, you know, is he safe? Is he, is, is he safe? He's a lion. He's ferocious. No, he's not safe, but he's good. He's good. You can trust him. Abraham trusted him. And we see that faith is connected there. And so we, if fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, I ask myself, well, why say beginning? Why, why, why not just say it's wise to fear the Lord? Like that, that would land, right? That, that would be okay. Why, why intentionally go out of the way multiple times in Scripture to say it's the beginning of wisdom? Well, my friend, that is the starting point. Like, if you don't start there, you cannot acquire wisdom. But I also want to add that I don't think it's the end either. And we'll get there uh, as we go throughout the rest of uh, today's message. But I do want to talk about uh, the fool. So let me get back here to Proverbs 1. And... This Proverbs talks about here, the fool despises wisdom and instruction. So I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this. So uh, Proverbs is not very poetic in its reading. It's not, uh, it's not clever poetry that rhymes all the time. Uh, it's more of uh, kind of a parallelism, as it's called. And let me get to that in my notes here. So parallelism means to be, you know, 
parallel, running side by side, right? Kind of like train tracks running side by side. And so we see a couple of different ways in which these texts in Proverbs are structured. We have synonymous parallelism, which is meaning that it's, it's nearly the same. And so you might read this. Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. So we see that they're the same and they run parallel. And that's, that is synonymous. Then we have antithetic parallelism, which means directly opposite. Okay, The lamp of the righteous rejoice, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. And so the second helps support the first in an antithetical way. Sorry, I don't use big words. And (laughs) they picked the least elder to teach on wisdom. (laughs) They should know better. And then we have synthetic parallelism, where the second clause develops the first. An example, the terror of a king is a roaring of a lion. He that provokes him to anger sins against his own life. So the second supports the first. And you, you realize, like, as I tell you that, you go, oh, yeah, I've, I've been reading Proverbs, and I, I see that. It's like first and second, first and second, first and second. But sometimes it's synonymous, synthetic, and in synthetic parallelism. So it's not like the, the poetry in which you might uh, uh, be used to. So when we read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what is a fool? Well, if to be wise is to not only acknowledge God and see who he is, to be a fool is to say there is no God, right? So turn with me to Psalms, I believe it's Psalms 14. Oh, I know where it is in my Bible. Let's get there. Psalms 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. So what is a fool? The fool says there is no God. The fool doesn't acknowledge that he is lesser and he is and God is greater, right? And so as I think about this, I kind of want to drill down a little bit and go, all right, I, you know, yes, I acknowledge that there's a God and that God is greater than me and that I should have a healthy, reverent fear of him. But what about in my daily decisions? What about in the small things? Am I acknowledging God? Or am I saying, I don't need him? Or this doesn't, you know, this doesn't matter to him. This is my decision. To do that is to be a fool, right? The definition of fool. And, and as I was studying this text and I was looking at the Hebrew word of fool, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, is very similar to the word evil. Like, I think it was ev. E-E-L. And it's almost pronounced the same way. And so to be a fool is to say, not only is there no God, but to despise his instruction. Because he's God. Only he alone could search out wisdom and reveal it to us. Right? So to be wise is to fear the Lord. And to be a fool is to not, uh, to say there is no God. And to not to acknowledge him. All right. So, I want to point us to Christ. Because we, we see that in Solomon, he was granted this wish of wisdom. And yes, it, he used it to acquire all these great things. But his end of days did not end well. And Jesus makes some very poignant, very poignant statements 
uh, in the New Testament uh, that uh, point us back to him and point us uh, to uh, Solomon. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and 52. So here we have uh, Christ uh, before he starts his uh, ministry while he's young. And <laughs> this is just so fascinating to me. I'm going to read. I'm going to go ahead and read most of it because I think it's so fascinating. We'll start in verse 41. And his parents used to go uh, used to go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he had become 12, became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents were unaware of it. Let's just, can we just stop there for a second? <laughs> like, they lost Jesus. <laughs> Not just anybody. <laughs> and they were unaware of it. But suppose, suppose him to be in the caravan and went about a day's journey. So they not only lost him, it took a whole day before they realized it. And, like, I'm looking at my daughter, Ashlyn. We lost her one time for, like, 20 minutes on Halloween. And we were in a caravan, a caravan of people. Like, we left the house, and she was stuck in the house. And, you know, but I can't imagine a whole day, you know, that he's, he's lost. And they finally realized it, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came about that after three days, they found him in the temple, like the last place they thought he would be, right? <laughs> what 12-year-old wants to hang out in the temple? Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. I'm like, why did you wait a day? Yeah. <laughs> but that's not Jesus' response. He said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had been in my father's house? Like, where else would I be? And they did not understand that, the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. Jesus obeyed his parents. I just want to point that out, kids. He continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And this is what I want to emphasize here in 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And so these people are experiencing that Jesus is the incarnate wisdom. It's the wisdom of God made flesh. Right? And so we, we're beginning to understand that uh, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, and then wisdom became a person, and it's Christ. If you would, turn with me to Matthew 12, verses 32 and 42. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I don't know where else to turn. So, 12 verse, uh, Chapter 12, verses 38 and 42.
Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation crave for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah and the prophets. For... For just as Jonah was there, was, uh, was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And then here's the point of the text for us. The queen of the south shall rise up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it. Because she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus makes this, may not seem like a big statement to us, but imagine being the people of Israel hearing this statement that something greater than Solomon is here. And then we just read in 1 Kings where God said, hey, there'll be no one else like you. You'll have this wisdom and understanding. There'll be no other person like you well this is not contradictory guys this is God himself this is not another person but here in Jesus we have the person of wisdom one that is greater than Solomon and so what does that mean to us first Corinthians chapter 1 verses uh, chapter 1 verses 30 and 31 where we see as believers in Christ that by his doing, you and me are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So we see that wisdom became a person and dwelt among us and eventually took our place on the cross. And I point this out Because the problem with the wisdom of Christ and the gospel is that it is foolish to man. It is foolish to man. And we see here, where is the wise man? This is earlier in chapter 1. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believed. For indeed the Jews asked for a sign and the Greeks searched for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And this reminds me of a song by an artist that most of you don't know named Michael Card, uh, titled God's Own Fool, and I'd like to read it to you because I just think it really brings to light what we're talking about here. The song says, It seems I've imagined him being Christ all of my life as the wisest of all of mankind, but if God's holy wisdom is foolish to man, he must have seemed out of his mind. For even his family said he was mad, and a priest said a demon's to blame. But God, in the form of this angry young man, could not have seemed perfectly sane. 
When we in our foolishness thought we were wise, he played the fool and he opened our eyes. When we in our weakness believed we were strong, he became helpless to show we were wrong. So we follow God's own fool, for only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable and come be a fool as well. So come lose your life for a carpenter's son, for a a madman who died for a dream, and you'll have the faith his first followers had, and you'll feel the weight of the beam. So surrender, and I love this line, so surrender the hunger to say you must know, have the courage to say I believe, for the power of paradox opens your eyes and blind those who say they can see. To believe in the gospel is to believe in what the world considers is foolish. But it is the wisdom to us that leads to salvation. <clears throat> so wisdom is, uh, is pictured for us in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise? and an understanding. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant so as to lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly. It's, na- it's natural. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambitious, ambition exists, There is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make it. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness. Well, my friend, that seed is Christ. And he is sown in us by faith, And our righteousness is not our own. This is wisdom. Wisdom is a person. And so, it's it's fascinating. He says, foolishness or the wisdom of the world creates disorder. And kind of chaotic, right? Well, you know, wisdom has been with us all along. All along. And it's been in Christ. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Like, how deep is it? What are the depths? It's how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counsel? Or counselor, who has first given him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Christ is wisdom. Christ is wisdom. And he's always been. He's always been. And so, if we see the beginning of wisdom, what about the fullness or the perfection of wisdom? Are we to continue in fear of the Lord? Well, yes, in the sense that you're recognizing who God is, 
and and who you and who you are, but we are not to live in fear. We're not to live in fear. If you would, again, I know a lot of scripture, but turn with me to John chapter three. John chapter three. Of course, everybody knows John three sixteen, and we will start there. We're going to read through verses nineteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes is not judged. Very important. He who believes is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. And the light is Christ. And the judgment is that light has come but men love darkness. Men love darkness. And God's wrath, God's wrath is going to be poured out against sin. And for those who are apart from Christ, but for those who are in Christ, those who have believed and are not judged. And we 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 see who God is and we 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 understand the beginning of wisdom. Turn with me to first John chapter four. First John chapter four. I want us to grow in the maturity of wisdom. Not stay in the beginning, but grow in the maturity of it. And I think we see that in 1 John chapter 4. And we'll begin in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have come to know that and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And he and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So perfect love casts out fear. Perfect meaning complete and whole and finished. Not necessarily the beginning. And so the way this kind of just resonates with me is that for me to understand what Christ did on the cross, I need to understand he did not only as fully man, but as fully God. God who deserved to send me to hell chose to die on the cross. And so what begins in fear of who he is, now I am moved by worship and love. And my obedience to him is not driven out of fear because of punishment, but because of who he is and what he has done for me. And that he took my place. And so that As he is, I will be in that day. Not by anything that I've done, 
but because of what he's done. And that this, this maturity and wisdom begins to take place as a believer. Where you're not walking in fear. And you're not reading Proverbs for the next thing you did wrong. But you're looking for him. And you are moved in worship because of what he's done. Because God, the creator of all things, wisdom himself, became a babe. <laughs> Was a lost child at age 12, you know. And then lived the life that you and I were supposed to live, but couldn't. And then died the death that we deserve to die. So that we might be able to receive him by faith and newness of life. That we might be saved from judgment against sin. And so by all means, yes, we begin with fear God. That is the beginning of wisdom. But we need to, to look to the one who has loved us perfectly and taken our place. Because there, there's no fear in love. Because love casts out fear. And so, with that, guys, I pray that as you go to Scripture and you desire wisdom, James tells us, let he who lacks wisdom ask. <laughs> let him ask by faith. It doesn't give a qualifier of, you know, you have to have two degrees first or you be born in this family or whatever. There's no IQ requirement. But faith, ask in faith. Why? Because wisdom is a person. And his name is Christ. If you would, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you have not withheld yourself from us. That you came to us, the light of the world. And Lord, the wisdom, we could not, we could not search it. We could not find it. But you reveal it to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, by your word. And I just pray as, as we continue to, to grow in the faith, that we would grow in the wisdom of Christ and that he would increase in us and that the world would not, would not look to us for worldly wisdom, but would, would see the gospel, what is often considered so foolish to man, but that they would see that apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. And apart from you, we have no hope. But our hope is in Christ alone. So we thank you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.